Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Where we're at in the season, I'm not going to really look into this one too much. Um, I look at the, the track record and feel pretty good where I'm at. Just need to, um, you know, get back to staying behind the ball. That was the biggest thing tonight. Now that the metrics are up there on, on pitches, you know, when you're kind of out of whack as a pitcher, you can kind of look and you see some things that you don't normally see. And so, yeah, I mean, I'll take a look at my mechanics and kind of see if, uh, you know, maybe I'm too early or too late. And for whatever reason, my ball was, was kind of running a lot more today. And so, yeah, I mean, I'll, you know, work out tomorrow and, you know, but I'm not going to change too much, to be honest. All right. So seven runs, five earned, seven hits. Four strikeouts, three walks. Yeah, a couple for Kevin of those. Kevin Gossman over five and a third innings. Uh, a couple of those. Amazing. Well, I was going to. Oh, was, they are. Yeah, I was going to say, but uh, things are so bad for Kevin Gossman that he's he's calling up the khakis. <laughs> yeah. Call Turn it, around. It's on the I'm scoreboard. Going to, I'm going to, <laughs> to Dr. Khaki. <laughs> Dr. Khaki, come and save uh, me. Just kidding. It's Blair and Barker. Um, the Jays have today uh, off. After losing 9-4 to the Philadelphia Phillies last night, uh, Kevin Gossman was so-so. His defense was worse. And yeah, one play. That was pretty bad. That was a pretty <laughs> oh mediocre gosh. play. 9-4 lost the Phillies. I mentioned the Jays have today off. They Sorry, start perfect. a three-game series against the Cincinnati Reds. Manana. Manana night. Is that Manana right? Manana night? No. Manana means tomorrow <laughs> in Cincinnati. <laughs> Uh, Bronson Arroyo is going to join us at six o'clock to take, take yes. a deeper dive into the Reds. Barker's former teammate. Oh, I love that guy. He managed to overcome that and go on to become a member of the Reds <laughs> Hall of Fame and win a World Series, though. So well done to Bronson I'm Arroyo. The, I'm a... <laughs> well done to Bronson Arroyo. He overcame being a teammate of yours and That's went on to That's the funniest thing you've ever said. Uh, no, it's not. You should have heard what it I is. said before. You should have heard what I said. You know said. what I was going to say. So don't say that that was the funniest thing. That's not funny. Don't, That's just don't say. You know what I was going to say. Our friend Steve Sparks joins us. He's the uh, Houston, <laughs> Houston Astros broadcaster. The Astros and uh, Mariners uh, open a series tomorrow in a, well, obviously a series with implications, uh, series with implications for the Blue Jays insofar as the wild card race is concerned. Mr. Barker's Mariners beat the Kansas City them. Royals 6-4 to four today. We're a half a game out. Speaking of overcoming things, they managed to win despite actually using Trent Thornton in a close game. It's the uh, Royals. That's what? why it's Kansas City. Or as they're now calling him <laughs> in Seattle, Trent Money Thornton. So as we... Well, you're on a roll. Uh, <laughs> as we, It's because they got my coffee order mixed I'm up. I'm so happy. Put that, put that sweetener that's crap in That's the best thing. That's stuff. You know what that stuff, the best things happen you know to me all day? Does they, to your liver? they screwed your coffee up. It was the greatest thing that's ever happened You know what sweetener does to your liver? What does it do? It's, just, it's horrible. It, it's I like, use it's, sweetener and my liver's fine. Wow. If you're gonna, it's it's like Diet Coke. If you're gonna drink Coke, drink Coke. Don't drink Diet Coke or light beer. Don't drink light it's beer. It's like if anything you're drink in life. Beer, you can talk yourself into anything. Okay. Anyhow, 
He can't. So yeah, so it could be the, the impact of the sweetener because you know <laughs> I do not like to put yeah. it. I do not like. I do not like to put any artificial ingredients in this year's body, as you well know. Anyhow, uh, as of this particular moment in time, uh. as of this particular moment in time in the American League wildcard race, Tampa Bay is five and a half up on Houston. Sorry, five and a half up in the Jays. Right, Houston three up in the Jays. The Jays are holding on to a half game lead. Over the Seattle Mariners, the Mariners and Jays are tied in the loss column, which uh, at this point in time is something to focus on. Seattle has won, as we mentioned. Um, well, this is now seven to three. Yeah, they they have now uh, they're eight and two in their last ten. So Seattle's still playing well, even though they've had a couple of games where they've uh, their bull, bullpen has. Uh, has gotten it wrong. Anyhow, let's talk about last night's 9-4 loss to Aaron Nola. Talk about Kevin Gossman in particular. Uh, the performance from Kevin Gossman on six days. Uh, velocity was up basically across the board. Look, we're kind of in that moment right now where Alec Manoa's been sent down. It's a five-man rotation. You've got off days. And then, you know, I mean, this is kind of way, this is the way it's going to be the rest of the year is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Alec Manoa probably will not see the light of day again in the majors unless there's some sort of injury or something like that. So this is where we are. What did you take away from Kevin Gossman's performance yesterday? Against it must be said, we have to say this, against a pretty good lineup. Yeah, the Phillies got a good team. They're they're as as good of a team as the Blue Jays are. They're better, I would think. Maybe Uh, better. It's a bit strong. I think the Blue Jays have better pitching. Okay, better lineup. One through 12. Philly's lineup is better than the Blue Jays. Uh, You could argue that. Like uh, competitive at-bats and... you know, the dude on the on-deck circle is a little scarier than the dude on the on-deck circle for the Blue Jays. You, you could, And their best player looks like their best player the last couple of days. And the Blue Jays. And their best second best player, player looks like their second best player, too. Don't look that way. No. Anyhow. So, yeah. Look, Kevin, uh, that's interesting what he was saying there, that he could turn around and actually tell that just because of what the, the metrics were saying, boy, the game has changed, man. It just It's self-correcting on the mound. And, and even veteran guys who have thrown a bazillion innings well, like he no, has well, we needs to Le- turn around and go vertical break, horizontal you break. You know who else? Remember Liam Hendricks? The speeds, they need all that. Remember like, yeah, Liam Hendricks I'm when we poking, talked to him? Said I'm not the same. poking fun No, no, no that. I know you're not. But what they're saying basically is it's a quicker way for them to go, ah, right. oh, why is it not doing that? Well, I know why it's not doing that because I've been there and done it before, and I know when it says that okay. that I can self-correct it. Basically, what, what does he, he not stay behind? He's got two pitches. That's why you were seeing more sliders yesterday because right. his heater had run to it. It looked like a two-seamer. When you have two pitches, those two pitches have to look identical. One can't be moving the other direction because if I'm a hitter, what do I do now? All of a sudden, I can tell the difference, yeah. and I start laying off his split finger. That's the whole point. He wants the four-seamer to be straight. Easy correction of that is, for whatever reason, maybe he was cutting it off. Maybe he was falling off a little bit more to one side or the other. It's very minute because the velocity was there, and he's very picky. And when you start getting hit a little bit, especially third time through, the first couple of times he took them behind the woodshed. Yeah. It was the third time through where they basically were, we're a veteran team. You're not going to get us out three times like that. You're going to have to do something else. That's I mean, why Bryce Harper a few did more sliders. Did well, homer. Threw, the, well, it was a hanging split it was finger. a hanging splitter, yeah. Yeah, and when you have run on your on your fastball and you don't want it to have run, basically means you're not finishing. I talk about hitting all the time is don't look at how they start. Look at how they finish. Basically take their pitcher. It's like it's like Whit Merrifield. The difference between Whit, say April and May, 
and now is he can get to his finish and he'll hold that finish. Like it's big. Like I got to get it up there. Right? The bigger it is, the more I can backspin it and create that loft to the baseball and have it in the air and it'll go a little bit further. And that's what ultimately they want it to do. Pitching's no different. You want to get it out there and finish it. You don't want to fall off to one side like Alec Manoa, right? Alec Manoa is a hit-the-ground spin, ball goes everywhere, and he can't control that thing. Pitch counts go up, and he's in the minor leagues. I just think it's interesting that Kevin can go throw a four-seamer. It looks like a two-seamer, turn around, and whatever that scoreboard said – Told basically him. told him that you're not finishing it. Get it out front. I, that's again, we poke fun about a bunch of those those numbers and how you use them. And you, you do, don't, I don't. don't abuse. Yeah, you do. It's no, more. Do. It's more about the abusing it I'm than not using cocky. it to your advantage. Right. It's when it's it's basically just because you've done it the last two seasons. This season, it's not working. Let's adapt and overcome and do something else. And maybe you mesh the two together. I just think that's intriguing and interesting for me that a veteran guy can turn around and know exactly why he's doing it and sort of try and fix it. But when you try against a good lineup, then it looks like the third time through where I think he had two walks, two doubles. That error was big. He gave up a single. Like he was giving up hard contact a little bit more third time through, and that's the reason why his ball was running a little bit too much. uh, before I talk about that play, and I know we talked about it in Blue Jays talk, and I'm not turning it into Hammer and Vladdy, but I, I, a lot of people who heard Blue Jays talk last night were interested in, because they know you played first base. I want to mm-hmm. talk about that None play. Of those people were DMing me, asking me. And, yeah. no, that's because well, because you're you're not on Twitter. I that's never will be why. on Twitter ever. You don't know what you're missing. I've heard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, um, I've heard. So Kevin Gossman pitching on an extra day. Would that – I figured how to ask this. When you are pitching on an – if you're watching a dude who's pitching on an extra day, what is most likely to be out of kilter? Mechanics or stuff where a guy says, I, you know, I quote, I feel too strong. Yeah, what, I think what that's is most it. likely to be out of I kilter? think that's it. I think it's more mechanical. You're in a hurry. You feel a little bit, little bit better. You feel f- you're not as tired, right? Yeah, basically. Or fatigue. Basically, that's what it is, right? And you got the little uptick in velocity, which normally he does have on the extra day. Uh, most of the time, right, mm-hmm. it's a little straighter. He can control that a little bit more. He tunnels the split finger off that. You don't see as many sliders. Like He's trying to adjust on, on, on the fly. <laughs> and again, that's very hard to do. A couple of times, it's all right, right? Because he's he throws hard enough to split finger breaks enough that you can get a good hitter out most of the time. It's just that third time through where we talk about this, right? Okay, you got me out that time. You ain't going to do it again. And if you do it twice, you sure ain't going to do it a third time. And I think that started what you saw uh, from the Phillies was is sort of they started making adjustments and. You know, working count, working counts is a, st- is a stiff thing. I think it's more of if he throws it here, take it. Okay, I'd rather see a three pitch K by me having a good approach on a certain location than me having, you know, a, a, a couple of quick pitch outs on mm-hmm. some pitches that, quite frankly, I couldn't hit hard anyway. And that's what you see from veteran lineups, right? Is they start getting very aggressive on windows. And that's why you need to locate. Pitches need to look the same. 
They need to be competitive there, especially when you only have two pitches, no matter how hard you're throwing against a lineup like the Phillies. You've got to really know where you're throwing it, where it's going, how straight it should be. That will make the split finger that much better. And again, that wasn't Kevin's fault. Like, Sort of the same old, it's like a little bit of like Groundhog Day. And we, I get tired of talking about it. You get tired of listening to it. I'm sure people that watch the Blue Jays get tired of seeing it. It's the same old thing. I mean, it's like they get, if they give up five runs, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard. Uh, all right, let's talk about the fifth inning. Uh, two out. Uh, was the bases loaded? Uh, two on, sorry. Two out, two on. Um. Bryson Stott hits a ground ball. Oh, this is the Vladdy play. The Vladdy play. Bryson Stott hits a ground ball. A Santiago Espinal kind of double clay. It doesn't handle it smoothly. The throw bounces past Vladdy. Now it's an error in Espinal, which I mean the way it, it's yeah, big leagues. It should be. It's a big league. Hit him in it, the chest. Yeah, exactly. However, and two run score. Mm-hmm. However, you made the point as someone who played first base. I've made this point quite a bit. You've made it. Remember to say that. Yeah, I have you, made this for a no, very long time. You, you've made it quite a bit. Yes, I have. But that play for a first baseman can be made in such a way that the ball doesn't bounce. Easy. That he picks it out of the air. Ten times out of ten, you should catch that in the air. Especially now that the bases are bigger. I'm not going to hammer this no, thing. No, no, but, 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 but it was a big, dude, it was a big play this, in the this game. Dude, this dude won a gold glove. Like, I, I'm not going to hammer this thing. And obviously him running over and sticking his foot in the middle of the bag is something that they're married to. Because if they were not, he would not be doing it all the time. Like, they're okay with him I don't get how a team, being able to do that. And I don't get I'm how a team you. that's got Don Mattingly sitting in the dugout uh, who is one of the best fielding, def- uh, one of the best defensive first basemen I've seen in a long time. I don't understand how time and again, and and in fairness to you, and again, I'm not turning this into hammer and Vladdy, but you've pointed this out. There are plays that are close that shouldn't be all that close Absolutely. either. Absolutely. Because, because of the bases. Because, <laughs> yeah, because, because Vladdy, for whatever goes reason, goes to the, the middle, middle of the bag. Oh, I know why. It's very comfortable for him and he doesn't have to think about it. That's sort of been his issue all year offensively is he's had to overthink it. Like, he's thinking way too much other than I got a good little area where it's basically thigh high from the inside part of the plate to the outside part of the plate. Everywhere else I have trouble with until two strikes. I'm looking for that little zone. He has trouble just simplifying it enough just to look right there, and his season sort of has looked the way it's looked. Defensively, it's easy. I run over, I stick my foot in the middle of the bag, I stretch to – Wherever it feels comfortable, I need to stretch. A lot of the times, you don't even stretch towards where the ball is coming right. from. And a lot of that is because of his momentum and where he starts his foot. Footwork around the bag is real simple. It's I, I should probably do an Instagram thing on this. So everybody, every time I talk about this, I'm not sure people understand it. I'll, I'll say this. Right. Lyle Overbay was the best at using his feet around the first base bag of anybody that I've ever seen. JT Snow might be another JT guy. Like, it's very, it just looks soft. And every play that he should be making, he made because of the way his feet were around the bag. Go on wherever, YouTube, whatever, and type in Lyle Overbay first base and watch the way he uses his feet around the bag. Watch how he runs over and sets up and he doesn't get stationary where that sort of puts a bind 
on everything from the waist up. That's basically what that does is, is when I run over and stick my heel on the middle of the bag and I need to stretch in one way or the other, it puts a bind on everything from my waist up and I have a tough time of maximizing how far I can stretch. It's basically real simple. People are watching me on TV. This is a base base. If I'm going to run over and I'm a position, I'm the first baseman. Balls hit the shortstop. So you got the third baseman, you got the shortstop, you got the second baseman, and I'm the first baseman. Balls hit to Santiago Espinal, which is the third baseman right here. This is the bag. Everybody can see me on TV right here. This is the bag. I'm not going to run over and put my foot right here because the play's coming from right here. Why would I do that? What, What if he makes a bad throw and I need to stretch? I can't stretch as far if my foot's here. But I can if I run over and put both feet in front of that base and then wherever the ball goes, my feet will adjust to that point, right? So he is a he is a left-handed catcher. It will always be his right foot. Right foot, is that the way? Yeah, yeah. because I was a right-handed catcher because I was left-handed. It was always my left foot. So I'm always using my left foot, but I want to maximize that. And the only way you can do that is to be real free and easy with your feet. Don't be stationary. And when he gets stationary, it looked like it looked last night. That ball should always, 10 times out of 10, be caught in the air. It should never bounce, ever. Now, Santiago Espinal is a big league infielder. He should always throw that ball somewhere where he can catch it in the air. Just so happens he didn't. He's a human being. So occasionally, right, that's why everybody, every good infield coach always tells the first baseman, no matter what, expect the bad throw. Mm-hmm. That's why getting an athletic position, right, and that's why your feet are so important. Cecil Cooper told how, you that, right? That's always the, anticipate a bad throw. He used to hammer that till I just got tired of hearing it. Like, I, okay, I heard you for the thousandth time. But there was a reason why he continued to tell. So you would run over, and again, I'm going to do this yeah. on Instagram so people will see this. But again, go to Lyle Overbay. Type in Lyle Overbay, first baseman, and watch how he does that around the bag. And again, I, it's, it's very hard for me to be hard on Vladdy because we're, we're not being hard. But a, that, that was a gold glove first baseman. That was a this significant how he play. Feels comfortable. That was a significant play. And we've talked about this team, there is no. Whatever margin for error this team has exists in their hitting. They have to pitch well, which make the done, plays when they're supposed and they to. And got to make the plays when they're supposed to make them, which mm-hmm. by and large they have done. And and I just found it interesting. I found that play interesting because we're talking a matter of inches. We we're are. talking a matter of inches, but that just shows you and I like when things like that happen because I've got someone here who's played the position. I like people understanding people always talk about it's a game of inches they're not talking about inches in terms of foul balls there are very very fine margins to that play and that was the first thing i thought of when i saw the play last night again yes santiago espinal he's going to be charged with the air Mm -hmm. but i'm thinking to myself that play's got to be made that's i mean sometimes you gotta sometimes you gotta rescue basically two things he's very stationary and he's stretching with the wrong foot on the bag it's real simple. Again, you're a first baseman who catches the ball with your left hand. You will always be stretching with your right foot. 
not your left foot. He runs over, puts his left foot in the middle of the bag, and then it's sort of stretching to where he wants to go, and he doesn't maximize that. Again, it's comfortable for him. That's why he's doing it. But to maximize plays and make it easier for him to always, well, almost always, catch the ball in the air, Mm. stretch with the right foot, use the angles that are given to you on a bigger base. If you can do that, because he has soft hands, he has an elite arm, like he can pick the ball, that's with the soft hands. But I will say this, if he is in a more athletic position and uses his feet better, those plays that we are watching on TV and we watch at the Rogers Center, he will be making those because he's a really good athlete. Super easy and you won't be thinking twice about it. All right, let's talk about... I hope I wasn't too hard on him there because I'm no. not trying to be. No, but it was we've a, been hard on Vladdy a lot. It was a play that, that wasn't. It was a play that wasn't made, and it was a play that cost two runs. I think an it's important a, part of the I, game. I think it cost him the game. I think it's an easy fix, but he's done it a long time, and it's second nature to him. George Springer last night uh, hustling down the line, and I'm not going to overdo the hustle thing because you expect a certain amount of hustle. But George but you Springer, don't always get it. you don't always get it. George Springer hustled down the line last night. Uh, preventing a double play, run scores. I, I understand that George Springer's numbers haven't been earth-shatteringly great since he's moved in the middle of the order. But, Kevin, it seems to me that he's impacting the game more in the middle of the order Yeah, okay. than he was at the top it's of real the simple. order. real simple. He had a, a, a ground ball right to the third baseman instead of lollygagging down the first baseline. He hustles. And he passed the baton to a guy in Kevin Biggio who has been hot and has been hitting balls really hard. And then what's George do? He's still second and gives Kevin Biggio a chance to get a two, uh, a front hip two-seamer that started there, ended up down the middle, and he hits a single to right field and drives in two runs. Absolutely. This is what you do when you're having trouble scoring runs at home. Every little thing matters. And give George credit. He put his head down and run as hard as he could run through first base. It was one out instead of two outs. You pass the baton to a dude who's feeling frisky, <clears throat> excuse me, and quite frankly wants to play more. I don't know why. I got a good feeling about Springer going into September. I, I mean, I, I just do. I, I hope when Bo gets back that the lineup stays roughly the same. I like Springer in the middle of the order, especially if, if, if Vladdy is going to be doing what Vladdy's doing right now. And Vladdy last night got on base three times. Let me ask you a question. Who's their best four, who's their best four hitters today? Here, I'll name uh, No, with, Bo, with, Bo, with Bo healthy. With Bo healthy? Say Friday. Bo, Witt, Springer. Who's your fourth one? Ooh. Uh, right now, Biggio, but. Biggio ain't going to hit third. Biggio's not going to hit third. It's not easy, is it? No. So that's 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 a tough no. call. We're going to have John on tomorrow, and we'll be in intriguing to see what they do with Vladdy. Uh, right now, you could argue you would rather have George Springer up with a runner on second in the ninth inning with two outs than you would Vladdy. So if that's the case, you put George Springer in front of Vladdy. Mm. Would they do it? I haven't done it yet. I mean, they have whenever they're putting him in the two-hole because the lefty's hitting. But I'm saying everything's equal. And just because, I mean, you're saying you're coming out and saying that I'll do whatever it takes, whoever's hotter, that's where they're hitting. That's why I love bowing the three-hole. Like, you, it makes zero sense having Brandon Belt hitting behind Bo. That makes 
we're past getting the extra at bat and your best hitter hitting second. No, you want to put your best hitter in the biggest spots more often. And more often, you would think, would be behind two dudes that get on base all the time. Yeah, That would make a ton of sense now whether it would happen or not. It's just intriguing They saw that I saw Bo hitting second yesterday. Yes. And he's playing. He is uh, scheduled to play shortstop tonight. By the way, AAA, and then he's scheduled to join. We're led to believe he's scheduled yeah. to do- join the team in Cincinnati on Friday. Uh, Matt Chapman should be back. Kevin Kiermaier should be back as well. Danny Jansen, I believe that'll be what four days off for Jano to recover from everything. Everything <laughs> being hit. I mean, yeah. he's like a pinata. Oh, you want to pull the ball? There's a cost. There to, is. There's that's a how cost gonna, to doing that. That's how they're going to get you. They're trying to get you out of in. Yeah. There's what you do to pull hitters. But uh, so, uh, and we believe Trevor Richards will be back too. So everybody should be no getting healthy. And the, the indications are that Chad Green is probably a little behind just because he's coming off surgery. So maybe Chad Green joins them. I, I don't know if he would join them in Baltimore or they would wait until uh, until they get back here. But um I would just think because it's surgery, you want to maybe err on the side of caution a little bit with Chad Green. Although the fact they let him go an inning and a third and throw 30 pitches yesterday suggested to me that. I think it helps that, that you see Kevin Biggio sort of the role players. Kevin Biggio, Dalton Varsho, you can throw in there. I know he plays every day, but offensively he hasn't been real good. You can tell he's making an effort to try and get a better pitch to hit. It's not his mechanics. It's not his toe tap. It's not his stride separation. It's not the one knee drill. It's none of that. It's get a good pitch to hit. You get a good pitch to hit because you can pull baseballs really far. Mm. So maybe that's sort of – that would help. If they could do that, make the lineup a little bit longer, having Bo come back. They got a good team. Uh, Jim Callis is a senior writer with MLB Pipeline and MLB.com. MLB Pipeline came up came out with their updated Major League Farm System rankings. Of course, this is after the trade deadline and several several deals involved uh, involved prospects moving. No surprise, I wouldn't think the top organization on MLB Pipeline's list is the Baltimore Orioles. That'll probably be the case for another couple of years. Pittsburgh is number two. Milwaukee, number three, which kind of... Uh, now I admit I don't spend a great deal of time poking through farm systems, but that kind of caught... My attention, the Toronto Blue Jays were ranked 25th, same as they were at the start of the year, and uh, four down from where they were at uh, this time last season. The Blue Jays' top five prospects, according to MLB's rankings, Ricky Tiedemann, number one, Arelvis Martinez, number two, Arjun Namala, number three, Brandon Barrera, number four, Addison Barger, number five. Arelvis Martinez dropped out of the top 100, uh, in the preseason rankings, is back into the top 100 in uh, rankings right now. So we'll take a deeper dive into the Jays' minor league system, what uh, is on the horizon, what the Jays need to do, perhaps to address areas of weakness. Jim Callis joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, the Sportsnet Radio Network, and Sportsnet. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, 
Welcome back to Blair and Barker. Bronson Arroyo and Steve Sparks yes. join us in the uh, last hour. He's one of my favorite people. It'll be the uh, like all-pitchers hours. One of the nicest humans ever. Bronson Ooh. is. Bronson. Bronson is? Yeah, Bronson's a good dude. He is. Um, MLB Pipeline and MLB.com came out with their updated uh, farm systems ranking yesterday. Uh, and the... Uh, top 30 for each organization as well. The Toronto Blue Jays, as we mentioned, uh, were ranked 25th, which is where they were at the start of the year, four down from last season. Uh, no surprise that the Baltimore Orioles were ranked number one, the Pittsburgh Pirates number two, and the Milwaukee Brewers number three. Uh, Jim Callis is a senior writer at MLB Pipeline and MLB.com, and he joins us on Blair and Barker. Jim, as always, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your time. I Read the, uh, it didn't surprise me when I saw the Orioles Mm -hmm. at the top, but then when I looked at their list and saw they've got one, two, three, four, five, six guys (laughs) in the top 54, five in the top 50, (laughs) I thought to myself, Uh yeah, uh oh. (laughs) Well, I mean, we've seen the changing of the guard, you know, already some this year in the American League East, and I don't think the Orioles are, are going anywhere. For a while, I mean, Jeff, I mean, you covered one of the best prospect teams, organizations ever, those late 80s, early 90s expos. And uh, even they didn't have a run where you have the number one prospect in baseball in Adley Rutschman. And then a few minutes later, after he graduates, you have the number one prospect in baseball in Gunnar Henderson. And then a few minutes after he graduates, they have the number one prospect in Jackson Mm -hmm. Holiday. And they have plenty of depth to go with it, too. Now, they're doing a – I mean, look, it helps when you're picking the top five four years in a row, but they have a number of guys who are lower picks as well. Gunnar Henderson was a second-round pick. And I, I think the thing that sometimes gets lost in in terms of teams, you know, producing big league talent and the teams that, you know, have these, these machines that are pumping out prospects, it, it's not just picking high or spending money or signing the guys. You actually have to develop these guys and make them better, and I think that's the thing that doesn't get enough credit, whether you're talking about the Orioles or teams that are consistently good at it you know, as well, like the Rays or the Dodgers. It's not just, hey, you're finding you – know, you show up at the you know, 7-Eleven and, hey, we're going to take a couple prospects off the rack. I mean, you have to help even the top picks get better, and, and, and they do that. So the, the Orioles, just an amazing job, and I, I think – I've lost count, but like we do our rankings twice a year. I think they've been number one in our last five rankings. That's like two and a half years, even with all the guys they've already sent to Baltimore too. Yeah. The thing that, and the thing that really kind of sticks out to me about the Orioles is, you know, pitching aside, they have Grayson Rodriguez, but Jim, whether it's by hook or by, by crook, they seem to basically have an entire lineup of top prospects. They've got, they got second baseman, shortstop, third baseman, first baseman. They got a couple of catchers. One of the catchers can play first base. They've got outfielders. It's not like they're, it's not like they've got eight prospects who are all shortstops. It it, it seems as if they've balanced things out. And I don't know if that, again, is that just kind of dumb luck? Um, I think they've focused on hitters. I mean, and I think they've helped guys get better. Now, you know, where they've been, I don't know, fortunate's the right word, but like, you know, we're just seeing kind of the tip of the iceberg, but Adley Rutschman has been everything he was supposed to be. Right. And I know he was the number one overall pick, but like, 
go ask Tigers fans how good Spencer Torkelson's been. And, you know, I know he's been hot recently, but, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. And, you know, you know, again, with Gunnar Henderson, I mean, Gunnar Henderson got off to a slow start, and he's been really good, too. I mean, the, the crazy thing is I still think we're going to see a lot more guys coming. They've kind of incorporated Jordan Westberg into the lineup a little bit, but it's mostly guys who've been there for a couple of years. But, and you're right. I mean, you could – put together a team, pretty much a lineup of guys 25 and under, and it would be a very competitive lineup. And then, you know, the next step is going to be to find some pitching. You know, they do have Grayson Rodriguez. Like they most of their best prospects are hitters. Most of their best big league players are hitters. And on one hand, it's, it's easy to say the hitters are safer than pitchers and you want to stock up on hitters in the draft. I mean, the Cubs did that too. And the Cubs won a world series but then the Cubs didn't sustain it because they right. couldn't develop pitching. So that's going to be kind of the, the tricky part. Although the one thing the Orioles can do is one, I mean, they're not spending that much money on payroll right now because their team's so young. So you could go out and, and sign a free agent pitcher and two, all this prospect depth, you know, whoever's it theoretically could go, you know, trade for just about anybody. So I'll be very curious to see what they do on the pitching side of things going forward. Uh, Jim, before we jump into the, to the blue Jays, I want to ask you about the Yankees. The Yankees are somewhere in the 20 range. You guys have them ranked yep. their minor league system. And we talk about the Yankees all the time, getting old and, you know, not, not very athletic. And you wonder with what these teams, especially in the American League East, are trying to do with their minor league system when it comes trade deadline and, you know, get the call that guy up, sort of the Orioles way, right, is you were bad for a little while. Now you can, if you need to trade, you can. If you need to call them up, you can. Like, they can jump right in. Where is the Yankees at in all this? How do they get better, like, tomorrow, sort of? I don't think it's going to be overnight. I mean, the, the the one thing that's both good and bad about the Yankees is, you know, they have as much money as anybody so they can go out and just, you know, pay whoever they want. But the problem is, I mean, they've got a bunch of money tied up in, I mean, the, the one, they have one young guy in their lineup right now and that's Anthony Volpe, you know, and they have a, most of their guys are 28, 29, older, making big money. And even, you know, I'm not saying they shouldn't resign Aaron judge because you needed to resign Aaron judge, mm-hmm. but the history of guys that tall staying healthy as they get into their thirties and baseball history is scary. And, you know, if you want to see how scary it is, go look at Giancarlo Stanton, who's another example of guys who are monster size, you know, outside of Dave Winfield, those guys don't age too well. And, you know, the one thing, you know, the depth of their system right now, they have some outfielders who are, you know, interesting like Spencer Jones and Jason Dominguez and Everson Pereira, but none of those guys are, are can't miss, you know, none of those guys, I mean, this is unfair comparison, is Adley Rutschman or Gunnar Henderson or Jackson Holliday. The, the one thing the Yankees do very, very well, and it's weird because they don't rely on the guys very often, the Yankees do a great job of taking pitchers in the middle round of the draft. I think they know what traits they like and can develop and, and turning them into good good pitchers. The thing is they use them instead of using them as some, you know, cheaper you know, pitching depth on the team, they go out and, you know, they sign Carlos Rodon and Garrett Cole and whoever, and they trade away the Ken Waldachucks and the Hayden Wisniewski's. But that's, that's because they, I mean, I think they develop pitchers very well. And I know there's a lot of fear right now about, you know, analytics versus development. And, you know, that we can debate that all day. I mean, there's room for both, I think, but I I don't think like their farm system is not, they're not going to turn the team around with the farm system and what they're probably going to wind up doing. I mean, it's Yankees way, right? You have a disappointing season. You just go out and spend even more. And I think that's what they're going to probably wind up doing. Hmm. 
in your analysis of the Blue Jays system, uh, I, I thought this this line was really telling. In the end, this looks like the system of a contending major league team, one willing to trade prospects when needed and one without a large bonus draft pool. Uh, given where the Blue Jays are this year, are, if you were if you were to tell Blue Jays fans, is is the minor league system where it needs to be given what this team's aspirations are? Or is a is it a little shy of what it should be? Well, I, I think the way I characterize it, and I'm not trying to apologize for the Blue Jays, is I think these things run in cycles. And a couple of years ago, they had one of the better farm systems in baseball, probably about three years ago. And you know, I mean, Alejandro Kirk is in the big leagues; like he's an established, but he's 24. Vlad Jr. is 24. Bichette's 25. Um, you know, Alec Manoa has obviously been a disaster mm-hmm. this year, but but he's 25. You know, Nate Pearson. You know, there's still a lot of talent there. He's 26. They've graduated a lot of talent there. And it's like, 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 like we wrote there. I think that was Sam Dykstra who wrote that part of it. When you start to win, you start to pick in the 20s and you get your bonus pool shrinks and you can't spend as much. And the Blue Jays have made some trades to go out and get players. Um, you know, you know, they got, I mean, the trade wound up being a very good one, but they got Barrios from the, the twins and gave up two highly regarded prospects at the time who haven't panned out. I, I just think it's more of a cyclical thing. And after you promote them and the guys to the big leagues and you start trading guys, you need some time to come back. I mean, the, the, the glass glass half full, I guess, if you point the blue Jays system is, I think they would rank higher had Ricky Tiedemann and Brandon Barrera been healthier this year. I mean, those are two of the better lefty pitching prospects in baseball. Elvis Martinez is interesting. Uh, you know, I, I like their draft. You know, Namala was a guy, Arjun Namala was a guy who nobody thought was necessarily going to get to pick 20. He wasn't supposed to be there. Um, and they got him. Um, so, like, I mean, look, we haven't ranked 25th. So, yeah, you, you do wish the system was better. But I, I always try to remind people, too, with the, with the farm system rankings is, one, <laughs> it's impossible to rank – with a great degree of accuracy, 200 players in 30 different systems right. and line them all perfectly up. I mean, it's just even big league teams can't do that. But I was going to say, the other thing is, it's just to remember, it's a snapshot in time, like at this exact moment. It, you know, and look, I mean, the front office there, I mean, they had a very good farm system and they've used a lot of those guys to make the big league team better, whether it's by putting them in Toronto or trading them. And, you know, after you do that, you know, unless you're those. Braves who won 14 division titles in a row or, you know, the Dodgers, it's hard to win big and keep a farm system, you know, at the top of the rankings year after year after year. Yeah. I know we just have you uh, for a few, a few minutes more, Jim. I did want to ask you about one player in particular, Leo Jimenez, who we started to hear. uh, We started to hear about him last year. Um, His name, you know, we're told around the trade deadline started to come up as well as other teams looked at at potentially making a deal with the Jays. Um, Is he a guy that could rise pretty quickly, do you think, from this point on? I do. I mean, he's already in double-A, and we've seen teams are not afraid to promote guys from double-A to the big leagues. And plus, I mean, his best attribute is his hitting ability. Like, he makes a lot of contact. And that usually translates pretty well. So, like, he's, I mean, I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to call him up tomorrow, but let's say they did. I do think, he, like, he, I don't think he's going to be a big power guy ever, but I do think he'd hit enough. I, I don't think he'd be in over his head. So, yeah, I think you could see him, you know, whether it's this year or early next year, you could. I don't know what, what Merrifield's contract mm-hmm. status is, but I think he's, a, I guess, there's a mutual option. But, like, right. let's say what Merrifield leaves and, 
you know, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> he plays all over the place, so I don't know where he winds up. But like, I mean, yeah, he might be their second baseman at some point next year. Yeah, it is interesting. They added him to the forty-man roster, so uh, he will not be uh, eligible for the Rule Five draft. Jim, thanks so much for doing this, man. Really appreciate it as always. Appreciate Th- your insight. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. Always great talking to you guys. Take yeah, care, take care. Yeah. Jim Callis of MLB.com and uh, MLB Pipeline. And uh, yeah, it it is it it's. You know, we've talked about this. I mean, the minor league rankings, although I will say this, uh, MLB pipeline does generally does a pretty good job when it comes to their, uh, when it comes to their rankings, the, these things are, are highly subjective. And as uh, Jim said, they are a snapshot in time, but you know, I, it's, it's funny. Sometimes I think we have to be a little careful talking about the, the minor league system and the lack of minor league depth. And I'm as guilty about it as anybody, you know, uh, we said, oh, there's not much depth at AAA. The Jays really don't have much at AAA. Well, you know, David Schneider's come up and contributed a couple of wins. Solid. Uh, Spencer Horowitz looks like a guy who could, you know, help out. I, not going to hurt. Who could help out exactly? Yeah. yeah. At at some point, like, you just you have to be a little careful. But at the top end, the Jays have two two prospects in the top 100. Ricky Tiedemann is 33rd, even with his injuries this year, mm-hmm. and Arelvis Martinez is 93rd. He was back, moved back into the top 100, and. You know, we know with Aurelvis Martinez, this, it's just basically swing and miss, swing and miss. It and is, yeah. he's and, you know, he's. I don't know if I would say he, quote, has to cut down on strikeouts. I mean, I guess that's one of the boxes you'd have to check. But we talked to Casey Candell yesterday and Casey Candell said he's, you know, he's been impressed with what they've seen. From well, him. I think he looks his age. I, that that for me is sort of the easiest he's way 21. to define that. He's 21 years not, old. Not everybody's going to be, you know as a 21-year-old looking like a 25-year-old. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. And maybe he's developing a little later and, and slower. But he has something that you can't teach, which is power. I can teach him as a hitter, as a hitting coach, as a buddy that he hits with all the time to lay off that strike-to-ball breaking ball. You can teach somebody how to do that. But you can't teach somebody how to get that foot down, catch that thing out front, create backspin, and hit a homer to right center. There's not too many of those, and it seems like and sounds like he's one of those. So you work from there. You figure out how to, you know, hone it in and, and get him hunting windows. You do that and find a position for him. I think that, too, is where's he playing? Yeah, well, that's, that's another one, too, right? So you're sort of a little all over the map with him, and that's why I say I don't know how soon you would see him, but he is intriguing just the fact of he has a lot of power, yeah, a and- lot of power. And and you heard uh, Jim make an interesting point about th- this. Th- I think this is going to be an interesting off season for the Jays minor league system because theoretically, you could be looking at needing to replace well Matt Chapman. We don't think he'll be back, so you're going to have to replace the third baseman. It, I don't know. I, I You see how the organization, I'm not going to say has treated Santiago Espinal, but you see the way he's been dealt with this year. It makes you think that he probably doesn't have a long-term future here with this organization. Um, I mentioned Whit Merrifield has a mutual option. Uh, who else am I missing? Kevin Kiermeyer and, and, and Brandon Belt. Now Brandon Belt is largely a DH, a DH position. So you can kind of throw that aside, but, given the fact that this organization probably for the first time in years doesn't have to spend a lot of money in free agent pitching, right? Cause you got Barrios, Gossman and uh, uh, Bassett coming back and you say he's coming back. Mm-hmm. There's your five. You, you've got Alec Manoa. Hopefully you can rehabilitate him. It doesn't look like 
you're going to have to go out and sign a big money pitching contract. So you probably have room to address some of the position player issues, either by free agency or by trade. But I would think you're still going to want somebody like like a Leo Jimenez or an Addison Barger or an Aurelvis Martinez. You probably mm. want one of those three to come up. And I think ultimately Davis Schneider and Spencer Horwitz are going to be bench guys for you. Yeah, they need to mesh together, run prevention and run and producing. Correct. How do you do that? And when you lose, and that's a, Parker, that's a great point because when you take Kiermaier and Chapman out of the equation, yeah. you're taking a large, that's a great point. You're taking mm-hmm. a large chunk of that run prevention out of there. That's a good How question. do you do it? Do you have faith in the guys that are in AAA, AA to come up and do that and hit the ground running? See, I think the outfield, you're probably okay because you can stick Dalton Varsho in center. You've got Kevin or George Springer in right. And I've always thought, you know, finding a defensive left fielder. That might be so, your run producer right there. Yeah. So there is that, but. Uh, they need man. a real bat. Wherever that bat plays, yeah. they, they need a real one. And they need to figure a out. A real one. They need to figure out where whether it's. Look, I, I, think they'd, I think they'd be silly not to go after Cody Bellinger. That doesn't mean they're going to get him. A lot of teams are going to be going after Cody Bellinger. A lot of teams that go after. I think. I think. We're going to know very quickly where Shohei Otani is going to go, and that's going to cause a lot of teams to pivot off into into other. I really do think situations. The, the bat has to be left-handed. Oh, a hundred percent. I really do. Without like, question, a, like a real left-handed hitter. Kevin, I'm looking. Well, and and <laughs> further to that point, no, no offense to the other lefties, no, no. but I'm talking about a guy. I'm looking at their their position prospects. Arelvis Martinez, right-handed. Arjun Namal, right-handed. Addison Barger, left-handed. Uh, Leo Jimenez, righty hitter. Alan Roden, lefty hitter. Um, you know, uh, going down. Tucker Toman is a switch hitter. They got one switch hitter kind of in their top. Where's Toman ranked? Toman is ranked 15th. There's a lot of right-handed hitters. There's a lot of right-handed hitters uh, in this organization. And, and, of course, there's Bo and Vladdy are right-handed hitters. And I, I'm with you. I think they need they need to find... They again, that's why Bellinger on, profiles. They he's need on a, deck yeah, guy. They need to find that impactful left-handed hitter. Yeah, they do. He's got to hit in the middle of the order for me. It, it's you, you can have Dalton Varsho hitting down in the order. That's fine, but to me, that that left-handed hitter. Ultimately, I want Vladdy or Bo and a lefty guy giving me power. That's what I want in the middle of the order. You run producer. somehow run producer. Yep. Uh, so it, you know, luckily. Uh, we don't have to worry about the offseason for a while. But it is intriguing when you start looking at this minor league system. And there is some pitching on the way, yeah. which is always a good thing. Yeah. It's time for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. You know what that means, Kevin? It means it's time for Mr. Mark Boffo to Oh, I can't us. wait. I know you can't. Mm. Guys, we got some line movement here today. I Uh-oh. told you eight Uh-oh. and a half runs, and it's gone down to eight. Oh. In the Dodgers and Brewers game tonight, we got an okay uh, pitching matchup too. Corbin Burns taking the mound from Milwaukee versus Lance Lynn, who's won all three of his starts with the Dodgers since coming over from Chicago. So over under eight, no half run. What do you guys think is going to go down tonight? This is, I mean, this is kind of a sneaky good pitching matchup here, given what uh, given what Lance Lynn has done. Um. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take the under. Ooh. I'm gonna take the under at eight. I'm gonna take the under. I, I you got any good reasons, or are you just saying? No, I, I, I the pitching matchup. 
I'm going to go with the pitching matchup. I'm going to take. I'm going to take the under. Well, I had really good reasons why I was going to take the under, and you ruined that. Okay. Well, I'll so take the so over. I'm going to take no, the. I'll, I'll take. I'll no, take. No, 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 no. no. Because I'm a, you said I'm absolutely a team nothing player. there. I'm I'll a team the, player. No, I'm a team player. I'm taking the over. I'm taking the over. I'm a team player. I'm taking the over because uh, I like the Dodgers' offense. Okay, go ahead. I'm taking the over. Now you can do the important stuff. This is amazing. It, well, it's, ga- it's a gamblish part it, of it's it with is. your gut. It is, but that's part not, of it's with your that's gut. Not my gut job. says I'm going to take the over. Our job in this little segment is not because it's a betting segment. It's not that. It's the to give reasons why you would go no, one way the, or the other. It's to basically fill four I'm minutes t- and t- give, t- our, uh, t- give our give our give uh, our give our sponsors uh, four minutes worth of airtime. So I, that's what I'm doing. I'm going with the over. I, t- I, it's a gut oh, feeling, oh. Barker. It's a gut feeling. It's a gut feeling. Okay, go ahead. I'm taking the under because Burns stinks at Chavez Ravine and Lance Lynn against the Brewers is really good. And I think That's it's it? I, Yeah, I think it's – well, you ruined it. I, I was all fired up yeah, for this segment. Lance Lynn. Lance, how many times do you think Lance Lynn has faced the Brewers? He's yeah, been in the American that, League for a while. If you listen, it's eight, which means they'd have to score nine combined. Or eight So it's like, a six, it's like a six-one score Dodgers. That's why. That's why Lynn's been really good in his last five starts against the Brewers. And when were those last five starts? How many years and ago? Since twenty, since nineteen to twenty-two. So it's been, and he's been really good in the last little bit with Things the with the Dodgers. Things can change. So so we we did absolutely Jason nothing Hayward here. Hammers him. Did it? Does he really? That's good to know. Should have said that like four minutes ago. Jason Hayward's hit like five home runs off him or something like that. He throws fastballs. Jason's a thinker. All right, I'm going to take the under along with you. Yeah, okay, good. And I'll take the over. That was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. I'm looking forward to this next segment. I'm looking forward to next week. Woo! <laughs> 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 This next segment is going to be a lot of fun. Bronson Arroyo, Reds pitcher from 2006 to 2013 to 2017, member of the Reds Hall of Fame, World Series champion with the Red Sox in 2004, former teammate of Kevin Barker, and a phenomenal, I do mean phenomenal musician. Bronson Arroyo is going to join us next. We'll take a deeper dive into the Reds, the rebirth of baseball in Cincinnati. Steve Sparks joins us as well. Blair and Barker. Sportsnet 590 to fan Sportsnet. And if you're listening to us via podcast, leave us a lovely review and ranking.